Welcome to the Northwestern Master of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. We have an excellent show this week, and Adam sits down with an interview with Ryan Jabara. Ryan is the Vice President of Corporate Sponsorships and Marketing at City. As part of the global brand team, Ryan works with partners and colleagues ensuring efficient and effective management of City's sponsorship investments, focused on purposeful partnerships that engage clients, consumers, and colleagues at their passion points. In addition to leading major sports sponsorships like City Field, the PGA Tour, the Paralympics, and Manchester City, Ryan also oversees City's non-sports sponsorship verticals like the Global Citizens Festival in Music, the Harlem Eat-Up in Culinary, and the Perez Art Museum in Miami. Before joining City, Ryan was the Vice President of Strategic Consulting for Genesco Sports Enterprises. In this role, Ryan led teams focused on saving clients money in sports sponsorship acquisition while effectively leveraging those sponsorships to drive brand and business objectives. Ryan led the account teams that worked on some of the largest brands in sports, including Pepsi, Miller Coors, and Sirius Satellite Radio. Ryan has worked extensively with North American sports properties like the NFL, the NBA, the NCAA, the NHL, the PGA Tour, and NASCAR, and continues to work on more global properties as City's portfolio diversifies in sponsorship. We're really excited to have Ryan on the podcast, and it's such an insightful conversation between Ryan and Adam, two people that know this space very well. So everyone, please enjoy Adam's interview with Ryan Jabara. Welcome to the Northwestern uh, University Masters of Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement podcast. I'm your host, Adam Grossman. Uh, today's guest is Ryan Jabara. Ryan, uh, great to have you on the program. Um, thanks for joining us today. Looking forward to having our conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Me too. Um, so one of the things I think that we, we typically like to start with with our uh, guests is can if you can give a little more background and context of how you've gotten to your role to date. In particular, what I think is interesting is that you've worked with multiple different types of entities, whether it's directly with sports properties, with agencies, or directly with now in your current role with city. So can you give, you know, kind of walk us through your background and tell us how you got into your role today? Yeah, absolutely. It, it dates me quite a bit, um, but that's, uh, that's okay. I'm getting used to the, the gray in my beard these days. Uh, but no, I, I started my career um, really as an intern. I was in school in, um, in San Antonio and started working for the Spurs. And that was really, that was 1999. And it was the first time I really realized that my interest in sports, seeing that it wasn't going anywhere as a playing career, um, was uh, there was a business side of this that I could, I, I could really tap into. So I was a, a game day intern uh, for the San Antonio Spurs. And um, I, I kind of parlayed that into an opportunity with the Dallas Stars. Um, um, doing exactly that and um, really had to pay my dues at that time. And it wasn't enough to pay the pay off the school loans, but um, was a lot of fun. And it was everything from making sure I understood how um, the entertainment worked in the game to just, you know, getting on the ice and occasionally even shooting a t-shirt gun, which was uh, <laughs> a fun experience. I don't get as much of anymore. Um, but that, that then led to an opportunity with Genesco Sports Enterprises and one that um, was super valuable just in that it gave me a lot of opportunity to look across different industries, um, different parts of the sports industry, whether it's, you know, working with some of the biggest names and, and brands in sports like Pepsi and Miller Coors or, you know, Sirius Satellite Radio as they were launching um, just a vast array of experience that not only helped with 
sponsorships themselves, but also looked at the hospitality elements, the, you know, the licensing and uh, media side of things. So it was um, a really, really interesting experience. And I was there for about 11 years and had the benefit of working on the Pepsi business, which was one of Genesco's bread and butter clients at the time. And, um, it was leading all of the team sports. Um, and that was all of their league relationships and team relationships, uh, as well as the athletes and had a, had just a, an amazing team of, of people that I worked with both on my team and around me and really enjoyed that, but didn't know where to go after that and, and really wanted to try my hands and in, in working on a great client like Pepsi, try my hands at being the client myself. Um, and the opportunity, uh, offered itself at, at, at Citigroup. Um, with my my boss at the time, Tina Davis, who really gave birth to the to the sponsorship team, um, I was able to come in and, and help at the ground level as as we were building um, this opportunity, and it, it's it's kind of grown since. And I, I've really enjoyed the brand side. It's a lot different on the financial services industry than it would be, say, selling um, you know Pepsi or, or, or beer. But um, it's been it's been a lot of fun and a, and a new area in the, the sponsorship world that I didn't know before. And if, if you're not really learning something new, whether it's an industry or another part of the, of, of our industry, um, then, you know, it's, it, you get, you get a little, you get a little bored, at least I do. So, um, it's been a, it's been a good run. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot there that we want to cover, uh, in particular, I think that's an interesting point about the differences in different business models and how that impacts sponsorship. But we do want to start, you know, with the, you know, as they like to say, start at the beginning. So with the Dallas experience. So can you talk about what it was like to work at a property? You mentioned some of the things that you were able to do, particularly, you know, obviously, uh, everybody wants to shoot the t-shirt cannon, but can you say more, you know, one, like, how were you able to, you know, secure that internship, uh, and two, kind of what was it like day-to-day working at a team? Uh, it, it was, uh, first of all, I think it, it really was building that network. Um, and funny enough, uh, it, it's, it came through a, a friend of my mom's. Um, and again, it was really, I, I was reaching out to every team in Dallas um, where I grew up, going back, uh, trying to get back back home. Um, and uh, it was a relationship that my mom had who, through a recruiter that introduced me to someone at the SARS very randomly, but um, someone I still, uh, that was how I met that person and somebody I still send a Christmas card to today. Yeah. Um, and it's that kind of relationship and contact with someone that, um, you know, really opened the door for me and, and the opportunity for me. So it was leaning on a lot of other people that, you know, I still call friends or family today that, that helped me get there. And then it really was so behind the scenes. It was um, fast paced. As, as I mentioned, it was kind of the game day um, operations and, um, you know, the, the, the showtime behind the scenes. It was a lot of fun. I actually, I learned how to skate on the reunion arena ice in, in Dallas. Um, so it was an, an intro to NHL. And it was also an interesting time to see the growth of hockey in a market where um, hockey wasn't as big, um, especially with the, you know, the Dallas Cowboys kind of owned in that town for a long time. But uh, it, it was getting to see all the different parts of marketing in an arena and in an event um, and how you engage with people. And uh, it, it was really a, a lot of fun and, and something, you know, probably if you ask me what was one of my most fun experiences, it was, it was that time just rolling up the sleeves. I was working hard and working a lot with all the games and everything that we had there, but it was, um, it was a lot of fun with, again, a lot of good people around me. I can't, I can't stress that enough. 
Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that, you know, we highlight in the class is get as much experience as you can, particularly as you're starting in your career, and that can help potentially propel you into new opportunities. So, you know, how did you decide to make the move to Genesco, um, you know, from the, the Dallas opportunity? Obviously, that's a different type of company. So, you know, again, one, how did you decide to make the move? And then again, two, what's kind of your day to day? What was your kind of day to day when you were first getting started at Genesco? Yeah, it uh I had an opportunity. So the stars had offered me a job in a different place, um, actually in the ticket sales um, part. And I was really focused on the sponsorship side. I really liked the, the engagement with, um, with brands and businesses and trying to turn sport into, um, you know, something that can meet their objectives. And so that, that was really interesting to me. So the ticket sales wasn't as much. Um, so the opportunity offered itself through a friend I went to college with um, who said they were hiring for, um, at the time it was Pepsi Bottling Group. Um, So the bottling system that was doing a lot of their sports team deals um, and uh, as well as a lot of their athlete um, uh, ambassador relationships. So the, the first job that I had at, at Genesco was really looking at all of those contracts and um, evaluating them, reading, you know, every single word and then figuring out the right ways to categorize them. But not only do that, but also put, start to put together um, some data and analytics behind each one of these contracts. And um, I can't say that it's uh, that it, it's the caliber of, of uh, B6A, but it's it was uh, it was my entree into looking at how you can start to categorize some of these different um, sponsorships. What are some of the best practices or worst practices that we were seeing in some of the contracts and right sizing those ships? So it was another. Again, I kind of had the event side of the world that now offered an entree into the back end con- contractual side of the world of sponsorships that was really interesting to me and fun. Yeah, we can't let you mention data without obviously uh, asking about it. So what kind of numbers, what kind of data, what kind of things were you looking for when you first got started at Genesco? So it was looking at the assets themselves, the things that were involved in those individual team contracts, and then how they were directly engaging or how they were directly relating to um, a business back objective. So whether that was, you know, attendance, um, how we were, it was probably the first time we were starting to look at perform attendance performance against contracts um, and really comparing how we were matching up the attendance with the amount of money we're spending with a, with the contract itself. And then um, how much Pepsi we were selling in the building or, or outside of that with just account specific activities that we would have. Um, And that was really the first array into looking at those different um, sponsorships in that way. And it's evolved obviously quite a bit since then um, with the help of a lot of people that are uh, much more analytical and smarter than myself. So lucky, lucky for the industry that happened. Yeah. And then um, if nothing else, uh, hopefully people take away that flattery and talking about stuff will get you everywhere. So, (laughs) Um, but I I do want to drill in again um, from an agency perspective, you know, you, you did work with multiple different companies and multiple different types of activation. So, you know, that it does seem like something you sought out, like you mentioned in your career, is new opportunities, new times to learn. So um, what did you see as you moved through these different opportunities at Genesco? One, you know, what were the different companies that you worked with? And two, what were the different types of projects and engagements that you were working on uh, as you were moving through your career? 
it was interesting. I, I went from that, that opportunity in, in living in Dallas where, where I grew up to um, having the opportunity from there um, to work on Sirius Satellite Radio, which was a brand new client for, um, for Genesco at the time. And it offered the opportunity to move to New York um, where, I, where I live now. And so it's that um, I'll, I'll be forever grateful for that role that, that just offered a lot of opportunity to one, see a, a budding industry, you know, Sirius and literally, and we, we were officed out of the Sirius satellite radio offices, which are pretty amazing in and of themselves. And at that time it was, it was a few, uh, it was like maybe a month or two after Howard Stern had signed with Sirius satellite radio, which was just a blockbuster deal that, that put them on the map in such a big way. But in the back end, we were doing all of these other um, negotiations and sponsorship deals with, um, with NFL teams. They had just signed an NFL relationship. And so that was my first array into the NFL as a league um, and had some great, great people, great clients um, that, that took us, took us in from, from being in Dallas and then moving to New York and just working there nonstop, trying to get these deals done that were really, uh, again, uh, m- much more performance driven than um, for the, for the team. So it was uh, an opportunity where we we basically were saying, hey, if you can attribute an asset that you're going to give us to uh, to signing someone up for Sirius Satellite Radio, um, then that's how we'll help pay for the sponsorship. And it was um, nice to see people sign on for those kind of those kind of partnerships. That's a true partnership when everybody's kind of working towards the same goal. But um, long story short, I worked on Sirius for, for a while, then I moved over to Pepsi to work uh, again, but more on the sports group side out of purchase, working on NHL, MLB, um, MLS as, as it was a, um, you know, somewhat budding property at the time. And then, um, you know, I actually had the opportunity to move, uh, to Denver and moved around to, to work on Coors, which was a new client for Genesco as well at that time. So at the time they were in Denver, they, they merged, uh, shortly thereafter did the joint venture with, um, Miller, um, working on Miller Coors out of Chicago before I ended up back in, um, in purchase again back in New York to uh, help lead the, the team sports for the Pepsi sports group, which was just a lot of fun. It was every, every, like I mentioned before, it was every league and team um, at least half uh, one. You're either, you're either Pepsi or you're Coke. Um, so we'd have had a lot of the domestic leagues um, as well as about half of the teams that we got to engage with on a regular basis. And again, just a lot of really good people around me um, to, to work with, to, to make that really come to light. So you mentioned um, that, you know, again, you were working across different company types and different uh, sports property types. So first, we'll start on the company side. How did different companies views, you know, obviously different companies, whether it's through their products or through their um, offerings, how did they, how do these different companies view sponsorship and how they determined ROI from sponsorship? So uh, I mentioned I mentioned Sirius, which was really kind of uh, that was a, a new way, a completely new industry and a new way of looking at everything, which was really interesting to work on because it was this performance driven model of it. We weren't. We, we spent quite a bit of money as a broadcast partner with the NFL, but what we were really focused on was bringing that to life at the local level with the teams. And we weren't asking for a lot. And, and quite honestly, because of the team relationships that we, we at Genesco had a, along with Sirius, we, we were asking for assets that didn't cost the teams a lot of money um, and they would get paid based on the performance that that asset drove for us of new subscribers. So that, that was an, a whole new way of looking at, um, 
you know, the sponsorships that of course I mentioned, you know, we looked at Pepsi and how we were selling, um, selling cases before, but it really forced us to be, um, to be, to lean on our relationships with the teams, but know the different assets that were pulling levers or making money from the team. So you really had to know both sides of the fence to uh, make that strategy come to life, which was, which, which was interesting. And then that led to a lot of opportunity with Pepsi and Miller Coors after that, where we really built, um, built really a, a, a governance model for how we looked at sponsorships and made decisions, where in both of those companies, it was much more, um, because it was kind of the, the I don't want to say the, the infancy of, of sports marketing because that had gone on for a long time, but just being associated with sports was enough at the time. We were starting to look at how do you really turn those into sales and be a little bit more um, particular about which sponsors you align yourself or brands you align your, your brand with. Um, and building that govern, governance model at Miller Coors and then at Pepsi was um, really, really interesting for, for two of the biggest brands in, in sports that didn't have it before. Um, so it was a really good partners along the way that helped us get there. And then, um, like you met, like we talked about, you mentioned you work with a bunch of different properties and in a bunch of different sports. So what, how did you see the evolution of sponsorship either in terms of the relationships or in terms of how ROI was calculated or how they were, how uh, partners were activating? How have you, how did you see across multiple different sports? Did you see differences? How do, you know, how do properties look at, uh, sponsorship and, um, you know, how did that impact your strategic thought process while you're at Genesco? Yeah. It, you know what it, all of them were, all of them are so different in, in, um, in how they bring things to life. Some more innovative than others and I'll, I'll leave names out of it. But I, I think, uh, um, you, you know, you, there, some of the, some of these partners, you don't need the awareness anymore. You, it, it, some of these brands don't need the awareness. You, you kind of, they're intrinsic to the sport. And I was lucky enough to work in some, on some brands that, that were. Um, so what we started to get to is a, is a model that you don't need to always be the only, um, you know, beer there, or you don't need to be the only beer sponsor. You don't need to be the only, um, you know, non-alcoholic drink sponsor in the building we we just need to activate better and and so it forced us to be smarter in how we negotiated our deals um and you can be if you activate better um than either the competitor in that market or the competitor in general so um that was really what we were focused on and it was a new way i think it was a new way of thinking where you thought you had to have everything in the world and you you don't you just have to be a little bit more strategic about how you bring all of those assets together um, and that was, uh, that was an interesting process. It definitely tests your relationships and, um, but it forces you to be more analytical, more strategic, um, and, and bring in people that are truly in it with you to build a, a, a partnership, a, a win-win scenario. And um, you, when you say, you, you know, you said activate better, you said be more analytical, be more strategic. Um, and you can talk about this particularly in the context of your current role at City because we want to get into that in more detail as well. But what do you mean by that? Like, what 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 puts meat on the bone for you from those uh, with those concepts? It's it's sales. It's how do you deliver um, the return on and uh, uh, the objective of the sponsorship? And for for a play, for a CPG company like Pepsi or Miller Coors, it's sometimes easier than a than a bank like City, but because there are so many different parts of our business. But how many cases are you pushing through, or how many account specific programs did you have? 
um, associated with that sponsorship that really drove cases in the grocery stores or at the, you know, off premise, um, places. So, um, and, and we were doing the, we were doing that sort of deep dive analytics into each one of our sponsorships and also, uh, you know, sadly, as it, you know, depending on how you look at it, I don't think some brands don't always really document and write down the objectives that they have going into the sponsorship. Um, and that it forced that. So if you look at a sponsorship in 10 years, 20 years, and you look back at the business case and the rationale for doing it, you now have a said, oh, this was the guiding light. This was the reason that we did this. Are we still doing that? Is that even still pertain to our business? Businesses involved so much. Um, we might be more focused on social media than we were in, say, we definitely are than we in 2004. So, um, you know, that's, those are the kind of ways I think it really forced us to start thinking about these things. And then how did you make the decision? You know, you mentioned, uh, and we've talked about obviously your role at Genesco and now moving on to your role at city. How did you make the decision? You know, obviously you worked with a lot of leading, uh, part, you know, a lot of leading sports partners and a lot of leading companies. Uh, how did you make the decision that you wanted to potentially move to one of those companies? And, and how did you decide that city was a good fit for what you were looking for? Yeah, I, I, I wish, um, I, I wish I could say it was easy because it wasn't, I, I, I really enjoyed the people I worked with, um, both on the client side as well as on the agency side when I left Genesco. So it wasn't an easy move by any means. It was, it was, uh, um, but there are only, there aren't a whole lot of opportunities to, to jump to the brand side as, as often as I, I think I would have seen at the time. Um, and again, luckily through, through my network and, and very close friends, um, connected me with city and, and it was an interesting opportunity to start building from the ground up. And that sort of entrepreneurial spirit that the fact that it's a 200 year old company that, is really just now building a sponsorship expertise was really interesting to me. Um, so to start thinking about sponsorships in a new way um, and help lead the organization in that light was, um, was enough to make me uh, kind of make the, make the jump. Even though it was an industry I didn't really know or have experience in in the past, it's been, uh, and I still wish I knew it better. It's uh, like I, I'm learning every day, which I, I enjoy. Um, and it's evolving every day, but, but that's part of the fun. And so let's talk about it. So what, what are you doing? And, you know, we're talking about on a day-to-day basis at city. So, you know, you talked about one of the things we do highlight in the class is entrepreneurial opportunities, right? How can you be entrepreneurial with an existing company? So can you talk about more about that and what you're doing on a day-to-day basis at city now? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's come a long way. And, you know, the same governance process, or, you know, that I mentioned at Miller Coors and Pepsi, um, we, we built it at city, um, not the exact same, obviously there's nuances for every, for every industry and, and company there. It's a custom process, but, um, to build for a place that's, um, as a, in a regulated industry, these, these sponsorship dollars, um, we're, we're looking at now with a more of a microscope than I think we ever, we ever were. Um, and to lead that process and to kind of, there's, there's so many people that are going to tell you, Oh no, this is the way we've done it. We've always done it this way or that way. And, but if you build the right rationale and bring the right people in the fold to help you, um, execute the idea, that's, that's really where, um, you start to see success. Um, and, and not only that, you change the way, um, 
people start to think about sponsorships and as a tool uh, or an investment. We have, you know, one of our largest sponsorships, you know, sometimes people will think is of, is very expensive, but until you start, and that's not to say it's not an expensive sponsorship. There's some of them are, some of them aren't. But if you start showing the organization how you can use it as a tool to help them achieve their objectives, that's when everybody starts to win, or at least it's, it's pulling on a lever that it didn't have before. And so now it's, instead of a, a, a challenge that everybody sees as w- weighting us down, it's an opportunity. Um, so I think it's been really about uh, trying to bring people together around new opportunities um, in sponsorships, whether they're new and inherited, um, that not decisions we made or, or new opportunities that come to us. Um, that's, that's partly where the fun and the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, come to life. I think you highlighted a good point that I want to talk about in more detail in terms of, you know, sponsorship can often be the one of the most visible things that a company does or one of the most visible marketing assets that a company has. So how do you communicate, you know, and, and when you're talking about City or other companies, you know, people are not necessarily experts in the sports industry or sponsorship or sponsorship analytics. So how do you communicate how value is being created or how do you communicate and, and demonstrate um, internally um, to different stakeholders, you know, at a high level without, you know, obviously giving away any kind of state secrets or anything, but how, how do you communicate how value is being um, uh, generated through these assets? I, the, the first thing, and I mentioned it before on, in my time at Pepsi, of just, you know, writing down what the objective behind the sponsorship is. It's so simple. Um, and it's known for most people, it might be something, you know, if you're, if you're having to say it to someone else, um, it, like I might know going into a sponsorship deal tomorrow, I know why I'm doing it and it's for the right reasons. But until I write it down and share it with other people, there's no way for anyone else to know. So that just that formal documentation of the process. And, you know, a lot of people believe if you write something down, it, t- it makes it that much more likely to follow through with it. Um, you'll start to measure it in that way too. And that's the important thing is measure against that objective that you're writing down and documenting to the rest of the organization why you're doing it. I think that's, that's been, it's so simple and it's, it's so obvious, um, but just formalizing it into a process and into your own kind of habits as a, both as an individual and as an organization, I think is so important uh, because it holds you to, if you, it holds you to those metrics and, and really trying to deliver against those metrics to the organization. Um, and then you have a way to look at it. It's not to say that just because the sponsorship didn't deliver against that metric, it's not right. It might be the activation. Um, it might be a new way of innovative activation that you can bring to life um, at that at that property or, or with that partner. So um, that that's I think the first key or the first step. And one of the things that's obviously um, you know one of the things that's important to city is obviously the global nature and the global uh, activation that can bring challenges though in terms of what you're talking about in terms of aligning around metrics. So again, when you're talking about um, you know, a global company that has all these different activations, how, what's the, what's your thought process in terms of alignment and how you get people aligned around um, core objectives? It's, it's bringing them in early and often um, to the, the conversation. I think it, it's, um, although we sit in kind of a corporate global function that kind of looks across regions and lines of business, um, it, it, you don't ever want to be in a position to force something on someone. You want them to be a part of it. So whether that's even, you know, I think it starts with co-funding. If you start to bring them into the fold and helping to pay for it, you don't just want to give them an asset. You want to, you want to pay for them for it together. 
together and make sure they have skin in the game so that they're, they want to deliver against those dollars that they're investing just as much as you are. Um, but that's being collaborative and open to, um, you know, other, other perspectives, especially because as a global company, I, I don't know every market nearly as well as, or the cultural differences or nuances as well as that local team will. And so I need them. They need to be a part of the process for me to know how this would work or for them to know how this, a new sponsorship would work uh, and what those metrics are to make sure that it is working. It's different in every market. Whereas in, um, you know, places like the U S and Mexico city is, is very well known. Um, we're, we're a mass brand, but if you go to other places like Indonesia, we're not going to have the same reach um, that or, or awareness levels that you would there. So how do we, how do we change that? How do we work with them on whatever their objectives are in that, in that market to, to, to help them achieve, achieve it. And whether you're talking about on a global or local basis, and I know this is a point that we've talked about a little bit already, but you know, um, the evolution of data-driven uh, sponsorship marketing and the evolution of writing metrics down, um, you know, again, whether in your current role or in past roles, um, wh- where do you see data-driven decision-making as a strategic priority um, within the spot, within your role in sponsorship, but also as a sponsorship industry as a whole. Again, obviously a lot of things you're trying to do is at, at City is makes the process more data oriented, metric oriented. Uh, how has that been received internally? And do you see that also being received the same or different externally in terms of working with your partners? Uh, I think it's not only been received, it's always almost been mandated um, because so much of the world, especially in, in our business where it's a, it's a, you know, we're in banking, it's accounting and numbers game, you know, they need, our, our leadership needs to see those numbers and needs to see how we're driving, how a sponsorship is driving those numbers. So it's imperative um, for us. Um, and it should be imperative. It's, it's becoming more imperative across the industry as a whole. And I don't think that's a new trend. That's, that's one that's, I think the industry is just getting that much smarter on whether it's, you know, Anheuser-Busch and, and, you know, I think they, they get credit for being kind of one of the ones that given the, the fact that they're spending as much as they do, one of the biggest spenders year over year, um, they're in a power position to be able to, to provoke, have some leverage to drive, um, drive partners to do the things that they need them to on the objective side. So, um, you know, we're, we don't have the same portfolio that Anheuser-Busch does. Not many people do. Um, but, but I think what we do have is a, a lot of reach and a, a lot of really smart people that, that look at those data and analytics internally um, and a lot of really smart partners um, as well. So like, uh, like, like block six, I think we're right now we're looking at building a, um, a, a dashboard that we can start to streamline how we look at this, not just at a local level, but um, across the globe. And that's no easy feat. Um, as I mentioned, everybody has their different objectives and ways of looking at things. And so we need, we need good partners um, that know the industry to help us kind of build those things out. We can't do it alone. Right. You don't need a good, you need the best partners. I'm joking from the side, <laughs> but um, one of the reasons that, you know, one of the things that's even as we've been working together, um, one of the things that's obviously changed is the coronavirus and COVID-19 and the impact of COVID-19. Um, you know, one of the things that you, you have to look at from a sponsorship perspective and, you know, one of the things that you guys have um, and all partners have to look at is the impact on uh, in-venue, the impact on hospitality and the impact on sponsorship portfolios. So um, at a high level, again, without just at a high level, how have you seen uh, COVID-19 impact um, kind of some of the things that you're thinking about from a strategic perspective? 
Um, it's, it's been one of the most challenging times in my career, um, just because, uh, it, it's, it's forced what, you know, is usually such a positive event, um, whether it's, you know, sports related or music, music or the arts, um, you know, there's so much positivity behind it and it feels like we've been driven to so much more negative discussions. Um, and, um, but it's also, I think out of all of that, you know, I've tried to remain positive and and trying to look at the opportunity that comes out of it. So of course, everybody's in the same boat right now. Um, and we're looking at new ways to engage, um, smarter ways to engage what we like, let's take city field, for example, what we were, were, um, our activation plan was focused on making sure that when you were at city field, being a city client, that's something. So, um, nobody can be at city field. How do we continue to drive that message through? Um, or more importantly, I think brands now more, more so than ever, it's no new trend, but we have to be more focused on how we're helping the community in the time of need and that using sports and these passion points as an amplification tool or as partners to do that, um, is, a is another big opportunity that I'm, I'm proud to say that we're, we've been, we've been a part of repurposing a lot of our sponsorship dollars or activation dollars and events that can't come to fruition, um, to help the communities that we serve. So, um, I, I, and hopefully that's a trend that doesn't change. Uh, hopefully that's a trend that, yeah, we can still do the events, but we still have to kind of bear our, our, our soul a little bit and, and, um, you know, make sure that we continue to help the communities like we have. And that's another question around COVID-19, you know, obviously there's day-to-day challenges, but what do you see as trends or, you know, whether it's getting more community orientation, different technology trends, content personalization, um, how, what are the trends you may see that have been accelerated or may come out of the coronavirus that you think may have long lasting impact? I, the most important right now is is just having um, being more purpose led in your activations, in your partnerships, um, and and how you bring those to life. Um, and luckily, I think that was already a part of our strategy with everything that we would do. We want there to be some sort of societal impact at a local or larger level. Um, so I think that's one that'll continue to stay, and it's become more important now. And, and that could be whether it's it's the pandemic or um, social injustice or otherwise. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of different areas that need help right now um, and support from larger corporations and um, I'm proud to say that that's that's at the top of our priority list as it relates to our strategy Um, and and I don't think that's too different than a lot of other big brands out there right now Um, the other is the obvious shift to you know virtual events and engaging um, engaging consumers and 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 the audiences out there Um, and and no no disrespect to this call but like there's only so many more like Zooms and, and conferences that I think can be ha- handled in that way, shape, and form. I think it's uh, there's uh, got to be other ways to engage to to draw people in, um, and whether it's speaking on in, in panels um, or having meetings, um, we're going to have to look for new ways to engage as a, as a brand. Um, and and you know you look at some things that you you see people like we've we've tried some things like the drive-in theater um, that we're doing at City Field this week, um, you know going back to some of that nostalgia. But um, I think we we have to continue to innovate and continue to look for ways to safely engage um, our, our clients and prospects as as we move forward. So the, those uh, the virtual trend in, in general I think is going to be an interesting one, just given how much. Um, I think obviously people want to be out and about if they can. Um, so how that, how that manifests itself, I think is going to be one. I hope we keep our finger on the pulse of. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about, you know, 
social media didn't even really exist when you started in the uh, industry. And now it's obviously one of the core challenge or core um, uh, channels potentially to engage with customers. So um, how do you see kind of, you know, I, and I, you know, like you said, City's a two, you know, a, you know, centuries old company. So how do you see, do you see City or other more established brands potentially really leaning into digital, social, virtual, augmented reality in ways that maybe they wouldn't have thought about or considered before, um, given what's happening now with COVID? Yeah, I, th- I think, well, I think it's everybody was. Um, and, and I don't think that's a new, that's a new trend um, at all. I think everybody was. It's, if anything, it's just made us have to move at light speed, which for an organization as big as cities, it's, it hasn't been easy. We don't move quickly, um, but it's forced us to move quickly, which has actually been a lot more fun to be around. Um, it's, it's a much more lively and kind of engaged in environment and culture. So that's, that part of it is good, but um, if anything, it's just put a, a magnifying glass on it. Um, and so now we have to be that much more focused on how we engage, um, maybe even a little bit more, um, you know, unexpected and how you expect, how you would normally expect a, a financial services brand to engage with its, its consumers. So maybe a little more fun and irreverent. Um, but you know, we'll see, I think that that's, that's going to be a, a big challenge for us and in, in all brands moving forward. It's, it's how do you, how do you disrupt a little bit in a, in a way that um, engages and, and brings people in. Yeah, as we're getting towards the end of the podcast, a couple of questions to wrap up. You mentioned about having a team in place that can, you know, whether it's through disruption or, or some of the things that obviously the challenges that you're facing um, and as the sports and the larger economy is facing as a whole from COVID. So how do you think about team, your team internally in this current environment, particularly as you're leading sponsorship within City? How do you think about um, um, interacting with team, engaging with your team and, you know, functioning as a team as you're trying to operate um, virtually or, or, you know, not together in the office? Well, it's a lot more Zooms that I just, I just a few minutes ago made a, made a comment that we shouldn't be doing, but uh, I've definitely put more Zoom, Zoom meeting invites on my, on my team's um, schedule, but it's, it's really just, uh, if anything, it's, it, everything's become more personal. Um, even right now you're looking into, you know, the artwork in, in my background and, um, and it's that part of it I've actually really enjoyed. You know, we're, we being at a, at a financial services um, institution, it was, you know, uh, much more, you know, in the, in the office, it, it's a little bit more uh, uh, conservative and, you know, uh, you, you've been there, you've seen the offices like it, uh, but we now are, are kind of invited into each other's home. It, it, and I really enjoy that. I enjoy the fact that it is more personal. I don't necessarily enjoy the fact that I'm always in front of work um, a, a little more often than I would have been, but making sure that's been such an important part of it is just staying engaged and top of mind with the team when we don't have the opportunity to just walk by each other's desks, um, but making all sure, sure that everybody has the time away. Uh, that's to be perfectly honest. I don't, I don't just worry about that for uh, my team or myself. I worry about it for my family. You need the time to step away and do something a little bit different than you did the day before. But um, so it's, it's making sure that everybody's um, just doing okay. Um, because we, you, you build a good team and you build a good team with good people that you like to work with and making sure that uh, we're all, we're all accounted for happy, healthy, and safe is, is probably the most important thing. 
Yeah, and then the last question is built around, you know, we have a lot of students, obviously, who are going to be listening to this podcast, students from our program. Um, what are you looking for when you're looking, you know, you've been in their position before, and we talked a little bit about that already, but, you know, you're obviously in a position to hire, you're in a position to build teams. You know, what are you looking for for people who are trying to enter, you know, in, in, in various different roles, but what would you be looking for for people who are looking to either enter or progress in their career in the sports industry? Yeah. It, you know, one thing is, is it's, it's, it's just a mesh in personality. You just get a feel for someone and, and that's a, that's not really a great, um, you can't really, you can't not really very, yeah, not a, not a data driven answer. They were like, no, but right now, especially, you know, you just want to work with good people that you trust, like people that, um, we're not, we're at least, uh, luckily we have, we have you guys at block six to help us with the analytics, but it's, it's not rocket science on our side. It's, it's really just people that work hard and are, are, are good at what they do and have the right work, you know, work ethic and engagement with others, um, around the team. But that's the team aspect. That's what I love. That's why I got into sports was how you work as a team, how you, how you lean on each other and you know step in for each other when you need to. Um, but, but coming into it, I, I just remember, you got to pay your dues. I was, I was, I think my first job, um, you know, I was, I think I was making like 17,000 a year and that I, I can't imagine that nowadays, but, um, it, you, you work a lot in, in the sports industry and paying your dues is, is, is really important as you, as you come into it, but building your network and bridges, like the, the friends that I've met along the way that have opened doors for me and that I've opened doors for them, hopefully paid it forward as well. I think is so important. Um, I actually, the last person that we hired on the team was someone that reached out out of nowhere. Out of, I think found me on, on kind of LinkedIn, um, and was, a uh, assumed to be grad at NYU and, um, uh, turn that into two internships that is now a full-time, um, part of the team. So it's, you know, it, just going out there, meeting people, getting, getting to know new people, um, and then just broadening your, your skill set. Um, learning, I had the benefit of, like I mentioned before, working at Genesco and learning different facets of the industry and that variety, just, uh, I think has paid dividends along with, uh, the people, um, that I got to work with along the way. So, uh, I feel very, very blessed for sure. Um, on, on all accounts. And I know I said the last question, but this really is the last question, um, in terms of, you know, I, we were joking about data and people, but how do you see the, the kind of the balance between, you know, the quantitative and qualitative when you're looking to hire, how do you see the balance between you need to have this core skill set, but you also need to be, like you say, engaging with people, being able to work with teams. How do you, how do you think about that balance as you're looking to hire? I think, um, I, I think a, a little bit more of, uh, the, the, the qualitative probably comes on, on a little bit stronger, um, if anything. So you need to be able to, um, uh, to engage, to decipher, to think strategically, to, to process the, the data and analytics that are there and turn it into a positive outcome. And without, you know, the ability to do that, whether it's through your networks, through engaging with people to really collaborate and br bring people on board, that's such an important key, especially when you're one of 200,000 other employees like at City. Um, how you bring people around you with and, and on board with you is, is just imperative. Um, and the data and analytics are, are necessary. Um, are a necessary tool to bring that along, um, but using it in the right way and, and, and bringing it to life for others in the right way um, is, is imperative. 
Ryan, it's a great place to leave it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for all the information you provided. Um, Really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast today. Anytime. Thank you as well, Adam.